Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at believing? Welcome to episode 48 of the Lovable Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about the biggest barrier to practicing your passions. It's not lack of clarity about what they are. It's not lack of resources for pursuing them. It is something much more basic, much more common, and much more formidable. It is fear. This week, we are going to talk about vulnerability, courage, and what it means to be truly successful in the practicing of your passions. Before we get rolling today, though, a couple of quick notes. Remember, The comprehensive, lovable study experience is available now. Everything we've been working through in this podcast, all of the written content that goes along with the year of listening, loving, and living, as well as an individual and group study guide for lovable is available for free on my website. You can go there right now to get it at drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. Again, that's drkellyflanagan.com backslash experience. When you get there, you'll also find all the instructions for ordering copies of Lovable for yourself or your small group or your organization. And probably worth noting, I had a group reach out to me this week. Uh, They wanted 35 signed copies of Lovable, and this afternoon I'll be mailing those off to them. So whatever you're looking for, we can find a way to make it happen for you. While you're at my website, you can sign up for my mailing list at the top of the right sidebar. You'll immediately get a free ebook entitled The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down, and you'll get a free sample of Lovable that you can share with folks. And then each week, you'll get an email on Wednesday mornings with links to helpful content. No more emails than that, just the Wednesday morning email. Um, All right, that's it. So let's get into this week's conversation, practicing your passion with vulnerability and with courage. Thanks for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 47 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled, What a Life of Vulnerability Really Looks Like. Now that you have spent some time clarifying your passions, creating space for them, and becoming intentional about how and what to practice during that time, you will be faced with the last and biggest hurdle between you and the practicing of your passions, which is fear. These days, most of us think of success as avoiding and eliminating fear and anxiety. This week and for the remaining weeks of of the months of living, we are going to turn that on its head. We are going to define success as moving toward fear and through fear. And in that way, success becomes synonymous with having courage. Before we get into this week's content though, let's check in. I'm curious to hear, what successes are you having in practicing your passions? Or where do you feel stuck? What insights do you have to share with us at this point? Or what questions do you have to ask? And while you're thinking about what you want to share, I will share with you my experience on the heels of last week's exercise. So last week's exercise, we talked about taking an inventory of all the activities in our lives that we're doing that could could be associated with our passions and applying this old Benedictine practice of discerning whether they are consolations or desolations in our life, whether they are enlivening us or deadening us. Um, and beginning to sort of winnow out activities that you know we might be really good at doing, 
but they are not tapping into our passions. They're experienced more as desolations. Um, so that was the exercise from last week. So I engaged in this exercise once again, um, and I'm not gonna share specifics with regard to how that exercise turned out for me, um, but what I will say is this, that the, the experience that I, I took out of it is that we never arrive at our passions that we could easily turn this, these months of living and this, this idea of our passions into this another arrival point, another conclusion, something we're going to achieve and sort of check off of our list. And um, I don't think that's how it works. I think we gain clarity about our passions gradually. We practice them. And eventually we sort of check in again down the road and we observe them once again and we realize something new about them or we change the ways that we practice them or we try something entirely new that it's this constant evolution and we do not want to get bogged down in thinking it's uh, it's something we're going to accomplish by identifying them and doing them. So the the phrase that I sort of condensed all of that experience into after practicing last week's practice was was this. Be humble enough to let your life unfold, be attentive enough to learn from it as it does, and be courageous enough to choose a direction, even if there is no guarantee you will head in that direction forever. So let me say that again. Be humble enough to let your life unfold, be attentive enough to learn from it as it does, and be courageous enough to choose a direction, even if there is no guarantee you will head in that direction forever. So that's what I took away from last week's exercise. That's where I find myself at in my own journey, and uh, and I wanted to share it with you. And now I want to hear from you about where you are, you are finding yourself in relationship to passions. Michelle writes, My 64-year-old friend took up ice skating about five years ago. She's a psychologist with a half-time job and is competing next weekend in Lake Tahoe. I tried out for the capades when I was 19. When I watch her practice, I can feel every move, and I am so stinking jealous. Oh, so Michelle, thank you for that. Um, our, our passion, we've talked about our passions as this, this longing that drifts up from this holy place within us, this true self within us, our soul. And it's interesting how many different forms as it drifts up it takes, <laughs> right? And I think you're articulating something that we all need to hear, which is that sometimes it drifts up in the form of jealousy. I want that. I want to be doing that. I remember a time when I did that and I longed to do that and it was important to me and I want to do it again. And and again, this is a, it's just it's just about listening to that. It's about paying attention to that and saying I'm not going to let that feeling go until I have figured out what I am going to do with it, what direction it is going to lead me in. Um, so I'd really appreciate that because I think I think few of us it's not a po socially popular thing to admit that we feel jealous. But if we don't confess that um, to ourselves and to others, we don't. We miss out on one way that our passion is giving us a message, um, one way that it's drifting up within us. So, thank you for having the courage to admit that and uh, um, and to to acknowledge that um, our passions <laughs> can be a little confusing when they first confront us. <laughs> Mandy writes, "I am dead in my passions. I am just surviving." Um, yeah, I get it, Mandy. You're saying that like pursuing your passion feels like a, it's an enrichment experience almost about life that feels like a luxury when you're just sort of hanging on, and I totally get that. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in Lovable is that as you grow, as you sort of progress on this journey over and over again, 
you start to you start to get better at discerning where am I at in my journey right now? Is my primary task to be engaged with my my shame and needing to re-embrace my sense of worthiness again? Am I mainly in act one right now? Um, or am I mainly in act two where I want to do a little bit of risk and I want to begin to reveal my true self to my people and see if I can cultivate and deepen uh, deeper circles of belonging? Is, is, am I in act two? Is that where my energies need to be right now? Or am I in act three? You know, I, I, I have a relatively stable sense of worthiness at this point. I have people around me who are encouraging and supporting me. And I am ready to take some risks and be vulnerable and practice my passions. And if you are not in that act three, it doesn't mean you're failing. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means it's not where you're at right now. And and you can have the freedom to say, okay, so which of the other two acts of life do I need to fully engage right now? Is it re-embracing my sense of worthiness all over again or maybe for the first time? Or is it going to my people and deepening my sense of belonging? I suspect it's one of those two for you, Mandy. And so no pressure for any of us to make these months things we have to do right now. Um, in fact, I've said this before on this podcast, if that's if this isn't where you're at, I would encourage you to stop right now. Don't don't make it don't make it a task you have to do and in doing so end up feeling um, more disappointed in yourself, but give yourself permission to go back to episode 2, episode 3 and re-engage that 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 discipline of embracing our sense of worthiness. There's nothing wrong with that. Thank you for sharing that, Mandy, because I know there's a lot of people who need to be reminded that you don't have to be in this passion place all the time. Michelle adds, oh, Mandy, I so get that. And uh, and yeah, Michelle, so do I. I mean, there, <laughs> there are weeks where I have no business writing um, and no business um, sort of trying to write because it's a week where my confidence is so shaken, my shame is so stirred up, my sense of worthiness is so absent that I very much need to press pause for a week or weeks and re-engage that, that discipline of moving on the inward journey toward myself and embracing that again. So, um, so many of us are, are going to resonate with that, Mandy. Um, thank you. Carrie Lynn adds, surviving leads to eventual thriving, one foot in front of another. <laughs> it's so hard to have that faith, isn't it? That just feeling like you're surviving right now will eventually produce fruit, that continuing to move forward. And we, we do want to encourage everyone right now who feels like, wow, this passion stuff is all about thriving and I'm just barely surviving. Um, that's, that's part of it. That's part of it. Hanging in there, surviving finding a way to redeem the pain that you are currently in, that eventually does lead to thriving. And, uh, and thanks for that encouragement, Carrie Lynn. Karen writes, for the first time I have told someone that I plan on writing a book of devotions. I was shocked when they told me it was about time. Oh, since they loved my insights. Next scary step is that I am looking into how I can cut my work week to concentrate on my writing. Always had a fear of not having enough, but now I am not enough if I don't share my gifts with more than just me. My goodness, Karen, you are you are poised at the end of this episode, this week's practice. I'll give you a little bit of a, a preview of it, okay? The preview of this week's practice is once you've decided what you want to do and it feels vulnerable to do it and you're questioning yourself, um, go, go tell someone you belong to and let them encourage you. And think about that word encourage. Encourage, to put someone into courage, right? That that's part of what our people are there for, our places of belonging, is to go to them and have them be excited for us and them be brave for us and uh, and have them hold us accountable because they believe in us. Um, and you've done that. It's a, 
you've created a bit of an inciting incident for yourself. You can't go back from that now. <laughs> you are in, and I am so impressed by your courage and, uh, and your wisdom and your direction. So we celebrate you in, in doing that. Joy writes, I had an aha moment when I realized my passions aren't what I do, but what I love and how I'm wired. I think I've looked for passions in doing something in the past and searched far and wide to find it. Now I know it's how my passions are played out in all things I do. Joy, um, that comment can stand on its own. I don't need to add a lot to it. Um, that insight, that shift in the way that we experience our passion, we experience our passions undoes so much of the pressure and the shame around our passions that I have to do one thing it has to be successful and instead to get to a, a deeper sense of clarity about what our passions are and that they represent a way of doing things not necessarily the things that we do it's it's fantastic I, I've, I've shared this multiple times in this podcast that to, to realize that my passion is for the way I do things speaking in the tender voice of a father that I can engage in my therapy practice that way, my writing practice that way, my parenting that way, my friendships that way. And in that way, I get to actually practice my true passion in everything that I do. Um, and at the end of the day, when I look back at a day and go, did that day, did that day feel meaningful to me? Did it feel purposeful to me? It's not really as much connected to what I did as to how I did it. And if I did everything from that place of passion, it feels meaningful feels like a day well spent and I trust that that's what you're going to be discovering as well thank you for that joy Debbie writes thank you for the reminder as a newbie giving myself grace to just listen and learn yeah exactly there's that there's that uh, that tension that paradox of action versus contemplation and that wise action can only proceed from careful contemplation and that that's what we're saying is that you watch your life unfold you're attentive to it you learn from it and then you choose an action based upon it you don't just keep watching forever you do choose an action eventually um, but it's a wiser action because you've watched your life and then you watch your life unfold from there and then you try to choose your wisest action from there and uh, and so debbie if you're in this place of just being able to watch and have the grace to listen and learn let yourself be there that's that's so important shelley writes i had the best talk with my 12 year old son relating what i had just learned back to him and encouraging him to be still and feel what his passions might be so he can follow them instead of doing and being someone who is trying to fit in with the other kids around him in junior high so thankful I had this good advice to give him. We had a great talk, and I could see his face come alive at the thought of being able to try new things, even if it meant quitting if they didn't work out. Thanks, Kelly. Well, Shelly, obviously, I mean, that that's as, <laughs> that's as gratifying of a, of a thing as I can hear, just to, to hear that some of our conversations here have translated into sort of actionable, um, real change for you and for your family that's just uh it's so gratifying i'm glad to hear it um and i, I just the, it's so exciting to me i mean middle school like the like worst time ever in life like you've got all these kids who are terribly insecure about who they are and who they're becoming and so their egos are like getting more and more protective and more and more aggressive and it's just a brutal time to be a kid and so to be able to have a parent come alongside you and say hey who are you who, who do you get to be, regardless of who everybody else is trying to be? I'm talking about an encouragement, um, and an encouragement to be vulnerable at a young age and know that that's okay. Um, what a blessing to him. So thanks for thanks for having the intentionality as a parent, Shelley, to have that conversation. Alex writes, good morning. I am blown away by the courage of my son's recovery from a traumatic brain injury that happened two weeks ago. Alex, I was hoping we'd get to hear more. You, you, you told us a little bit last week, um, or maybe it was two weeks ago. 
I have been by his side since the accident and amazed by his strength in coming back to us. He has a long road to recovery, but is expected to make a full recovery. This has changed everything that I thought about this life. Tomorrow is not promised for anyone. Let everyone you care about know every day how much you love them. Take time to appreciate the beauty that is this life. Don't sweat the small stuff and take time to smile at a stranger. It could make their day. Thank you, Dr. Kelly, for giving us this place to learn and to grow. Um, well, Alex, thank you for coming into this place and, um, and redeeming the uh, what must have just have been a terrifying couple of weeks and still is in many ways, I'm sure, uh, redeeming that by sharing those insights with us. Um, there's been a, a thread sort of woven through each of the, the months. If you look back, you'll notice that we somehow we benefit from a regular attentiveness to our mortality, to the to the the temporariness of things, to the impermanence of things, that it sort of creates, it can do two things. It can create anxiety as we try to hold on to permanence even more, as we try to hold on to the way we want things to be. Or it can create a, a tremendous uh, sense of beautiful urgency of, oh yeah, this isn't going to last forever. And I want to engage this life uh, now um, the way that I will someday wish I had. And uh, and you're, it sounds like you've had the courage to embrace um, this, this near tragedy in your life as um, an opportunity to, to be urgent about loving your people and about living your life. And uh, we all need that, that reminder. So thank you for sharing that with us, Alex. Donna writes, needing this encouragement this morning, had someone doing some raining on our parade yesterday. Not sure where it's going, but needed the reminder that it's not all going to be easy and that's okay. My passion just needs a better umbrella. Oh, oh Donna. That's an awesome metaphor. Um, when we decide to be vulnerable, to step out into the practicing of our passions, people will rain our, our parade, and we need to find a better umbrella. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just segue from there right into this week's conversation, um, because uh, we are going to be talking about the vulnerability of stepping out. Um, what that feels like to open ourselves to people who might rain on our parade. And we're actually gonna talk about how to get a bigger umbrella. So let's get into to this week. Um, it uh, is really, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, first, the first episode in the remaining four or five episode home stretch of this podcast. And it's so much of it is about bravery and courage and practicing our passions as different things come up against them, as we're practicing them and people are raining on our parade, or people are um, criticizing what we're doing, or um, things aren't going the way that we hope, how do we, how do we engage those moments with courage and, and continue on? Um, and so to give the rest of today's conversation some context, I'm going to read an excerpt from Lovable and then get into this week's reading from the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living. And this excerpt is from chapter 26 of Lovable, which is entitled, Courage Isn't a Character Trait, It's a Direction. The word courage is derived from the Latin root core, which means heart. Unfortunately, we've played fast and loose with the original meaning of the word heart. The dictionary defines courage as the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc. without fear. We have taken heart and turned it into a Mel Gibson movie about a mythical Scottish warrior. We have made courage into something you do on a battlefield without flinching. A more faithful translation of the Latin root core still includes heart, but it understands heart to mean center, as in the heart of the matter. In other words, core means core with an E, C-O-R-E. To have courage is simply to be who you are at your core and to follow your passion. It's not a character trait, it's a direction. 
People aren't born with courage. People are born with passions, things we're here to do. Courage is simply the decision to move toward them. So true courage to the observer might look quite mundane because it's ordinary people doing the ordinary things they are here to do, just one teeny tiny step at a time. We live in a leap before you look culture. When you read about finding your passion and pursuing your dreams, the advice is often just leap, as if your passion is something you do in a moment, a one and done event in which you face your fear, make a single decision and change your life for good. But the truth is moving toward your passion is a lot less like jumping into the deep end of a pool and a lot more like wading into the ocean. It happens gradually, one step at a time. You often can't see the ocean floor. You don't know when it's going to drop away and the water is going to get deeper. You don't know what's in there waiting to take a nip at your toes or sting your skin, but you just keep moving forward. You sign up for the photography class, choose a domain name, sit down in front of the blank page or easel, go to your first yoga certification training, schedule coffee with someone who is already doing what you want to do, create an Etsy shop, buy a book about parenting or write one, charter a landscaping business during the day while working as a chef at night, start coaching Little League, turn in an application, you stare into the dark dawn before the race or into the eyes of the ringleader and then you step toward them. Those are both references to stories earlier in the chapter. Because you need to walk through the scary stuff to get to the good stuff. In October 2011, exactly a decade after my wife completed the Steamtown Marathon, again a story earlier in the chapter, I started practicing courage by marching to the beat of my own soul. I dipped my toe into the ocean by setting up a few social media accounts, purchasing a URL, starting a blog, writing my first post and publishing it. When nobody read it, I took another step anyway and I published another one. No one read that one either. But now my passion couldn't be shoved back into the bedside table. Another metaphor. So I took a few more steps, by the way, these metaphors drive my copy editor crazy. Um, so I took a few more steps. Seven weeks later, I wrote one a bunch of people read, step. So I started an email list, step. I wrote a short ebook and gave it away free to anyone who subscribed to the blog, step. Every week, no matter how scary it was, I put my words out there, step. Then a letter to my daughter went viral. I was in up to my waist, step. A second letter went viral and the Today Show called, in way over my head now, step. I got connected with a literary agent, step. An editor took a chance on my book, step. Now I'm writing chapter 26 of that book. It's how our passions unfold, one step at a time, like wading into the ocean. Of course, like wading into the ocean, the big waves will come, the big fear will rise, or your knee will give way, or the bullies won't go away. Again, references to metaphors in the chapter. But you will begin to trust something very counterintuitive about your fear. Like standing in the ocean with a big wave coming at you, you don't stand still and let it crash down on you, turning you upside down. And you certainly don't run away from it, turning your back on it and letting it slam you from behind into the rocky ocean floor. No, you move forward toward your fear and dive into it before it breaks. Then you learn you can slice through it cleanly and come back up for air. You learn that moving toward the thing you love is the only way worth going, even if fear stands between it and you. That's what courage is. But I'm not telling you something you don't already know. Indeed, I'm not even telling you something you haven't already done. After all, there is a little one in you who walked into that first day of kindergarten. Just a big backpack sitting on top of two little legs, stepping into and through your fear. You've taken steps like this all your life, haven't you? When you went to the birthday party not knowing anyone but the birthday boy? When you got on the bus for the first day of middle school? When you interviewed for that first job? Reported for your first day of work? Sent off those college applications? Said yes to a marriage or ended one? 
felt the first contraction, pressed send on the painful email, heard the diagnosis, survived the surgery, called the therapist, dropped a kid off at college. In fact, you took a step this morning when you woke up and got up and moved into the dark dawn and big bullies of an ordinary day. You can do this. You have done this. Now, though, you have a chance to do it for a new reason, for your passion. So I guess that's as good as I can say it about uh, passion and vulnerability and courage. Um, and so now I want to just sort of expand on that with this week's reading. Um, so here it is, week 47 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, What a Life of Vulnerability Really Looks Like. The alarm sounds at 5 a.m. and my heavy, gritty eyelids creak open. The kids still have two hours of slumber ahead of them, which means I have two hours alone with my thoughts and my keyboard and my craft. The prospect is thrilling and terrifying because there's something else nestled right next to my gleeful anticipation. It's doubt, it doubts and it gnaws. It's my fear of the blank page. It's my fear of drying up. It's my fear of not being enough. When I sit in front of a blank document, it can feel like my worth is up for grabs. And that kind of fear makes me feel incredibly vulnerable. It's way easier to feel prolific and invincible. In the past, the fear has driven me back under the covers. Fear and vulnerability like a padlock, trapping my words inside. But now I know my vulnerability isn't the lock on my words. It's actually the doorway into everything I want to write about. We live in an invulnerable world. Somewhere along the way, we decided vulnerability is weakness, and we banished it from the public square. Waiters aren't allowed to confess mistakes for fear of a lawsuit. If a doctor admits doubt, they lose the confidence of everyone they serve. When was the last time a politician admitted they were wrong before they were caught in the act? Pillars of virtue cheat their way to the top rather than embracing limitations and weakness. We've replaced the public square with a winner's circle. And our homes aren't much different. We've banished vulnerability from our living rooms and bedrooms and hearts. Marital conflict escalates as spouses litigate their love with cross-examinations and exhibits A to Z. Our children take their cues and they compete with each other for worth and value. On playgrounds, tears get stifled and punches get thrown. Our strength and invincibility are quite simply tearing the world apart. In the end, the winner's circle stands empty, and so do our hearts. Who will show us the way out of this morass? The answer might surprise you because the answer is you. Before sunrise, I'm a writer, but I'm a clinical psychologist when the sun comes up, and this is what my clients have taught me. We aren't healed by the countless guises of invincibility. Better arguments or improved technology or obscene wealth. We are healed by vulnerability. We are healed when we reveal our mess to another and put our real self on the line. When we connect in our brokenness, not in spite of it, we discover what makes us messy is also what makes us beautiful. And we give everyone around us permission to be broken and beautiful too. When we have the courage to embrace our weakness, we quit competing and we begin loving. We quit fighting and we start sacrificing. A world torn apart by invincibility can only be healed by vulnerability and weakness. And art is one of the last bastions of vulnerability in this invincible, crumbling world, which makes you, the artist, the one you were all waiting on. Wait, you say, me, the artist, me? And I say, yes, you, the artist, because that's the other thing my clients have taught me. There's an artist in all of us. When I began to let go of my protective false self, to listen to the voice of grace inside of me and to settle into my true self, I became aware of a creative impulse within me. I wanted to write. I had no idea where it would lead, no plan, just a creative urge and I allowed the impulse to lead me. I figured this was my own personal journey and I enjoyed it. But as a clinician, I've discovered something universal. In each of us, there's an artist waiting to be born. When you ask anyone who has begun to release their shame, recognize their worthiness, and reveal themselves to their people what they would do if they followed their heart, they say things like, dust off my camera and be a photographer again, set up a wood shop in my garage, refurbish my 65 Mustang, start a business on Etsy. 
They say they want to create. I'd create a curriculum, I'd create a community, I'd open a craft shop, I'd play my guitar, I'd garden, I'd sculpt, I'd write, I'd paint, I'd sing, I'd act, I'd live. When we quit investing our time and energy in our invulnerability, our protection and pretending and perfecting and performing, we can become the artists we already are. As it turns out, we were created to create. The question is, do you believe in yourself enough to do it? We need the artist within you. We need people living from their true selves, people settling into who they are, and then vulnerably coloring the world with what they find there. We need the artist in you to face the demons. We need the creative within you to stare them down. We need anyone willing to bleed on the page or the canvas in the medium of their choice. We need to fill up the winner's circle with creativity and art and beauty and all things redemptive until there is no room left within it for ego and violence and invincibility. We need that kind of vulnerability. So if you, if that's this week's reading, and I'm, what I'm wondering is if you thought of yourself as an artist, right, and you embraced that all you need to do is make art with your passion, even if it feels vulnerable, especially if it feels vulnerable, what, what would you do with your passion? Um, how would you add creativity and beauty to the world um, with, what, with what you're wanting to do? Um, yeah, what, what, are, what are your thoughts? What are your reactions to this week's reading? Deb F. writes, yes, giving ourselves and our loved ones permission to try and fail. Um, I think that is, that is so essential. In fact, in a conversation I had this week, we, we redefined uh, success. We were sort of picking out all of the, the criteria um, that we have for success. And we said, what if we just refine, define success as just, just I mean, it's, it's an old Nike slogan, right? Just doing it. Um, doesn't matter if it goes badly, doesn't matter if the outcome's great, doesn't matter if no one notices, but success is just doing the thing that you want to do, even if you fail. Um, and, and with that simple definition of success, we begin to empower ourselves to have courage to try things that we might, might not normally try. Um, like you said, giving, giving ourselves and our loved ones permission to try and fail, Deb. And Brenda writes, I sense I'm on a passion path even though this year has actually been a mess. My 2018 word back in January was heal. I've been a mess. Fear has seeped into nearly every area of life besides on top of being afraid to drive since the car accident in May. Vulnerability is admitting it and starting to get help with it. Thankful for Alex sharing about his son today. When I think, I think what you're getting at and something that's really core to this reading but not articulated in it is that, um, you know, we, we had this definition of art I shared earlier in, in this podcast, which is that um, art is creating something and sharing it with somebody. That vulnerability is about stepping out and making yourself seen. And that's what this whole, this whole idea of practicing our passion is simply making my true self seen in the things that I do. And I think, Brenda, what you're getting at is that um, sometimes that's particularly difficult because our true self feels sort of broken. Um, it feels like it's it's messy, and uh, and so that that's exactly um, the direction that we are talking about heading here is moving towards revealing who we are to people, um, our true self, um, our passions, and our pain, um, and inviting people into that. That's a vulnerable experience, and it takes courage. And every time we create art, do something, add beauty, add creativity to the world, that is what we're doing. So thank you for for sharing that from your place of of struggle right now. Deb F. writes, Brenda, I think a lot of us felt that urge to heal when we first picked up Dr. Kelly's book. I find it amazing that here we are talking about our passions when at one point, speaking for myself, I had no idea who I was, let alone having a passion. Boy, that's, um, you know, and I think for those of us who might be listening to this episode and feeling very removed from our passions, you know, as Mandy mentioned earlier, 
Um, it's Deb, your your sort of testimony there that 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 gap can eventually be closed, <laughs> um, but it begins with becoming familiar with who we are and embracing who we are and our worthiness, because it is out of that true self that our, our passions emerge, um, and uh, and so we need to to give ourselves space to heal. Um, give ourselves space to become familiar with our wounds um, and learn what we're going to do with them. And that's a big part of discovering our passion. So, Deb, thanks for that uh, pointing out that we it's a journey and we can, we can kind of cross that canyon from not knowing who we are to knowing what we want to do. Mandy, in response to the reading, says, Makes sense. We were created by the Creator and we want to create. <laughs> yeah, like, I forget who, I'm sure a number of different folks have said this, but um, kind of in the in the Christian tradition, you have the creation story, right? Um, that uh, that at the end of the at the end of creation, the animals aren't even named. That it's up to the human Adam to do that, and uh, and that that seems to be the way it's set up. That creation wasn't finished. Um, that we are here to to continue it, to co-create it. Um, and part of our responsibility as human beings is to, to have the courage to engage in that, that act of co-creation. So, um, Mandy, I think it's a valuable insight and, uh, um, very much what this, this, um, this idea of passion is about is entering into your passion and having, entering into the vulnerability of it and having the courage to practice it is becoming a co-creator, um, in the world. And that's, uh, that can be a beautiful thing. Shelley writes, amazing stuff right there. Thank you. I'm not completely sure of where my passions are going to take me yet, but the difference in me now is that my radar for living life has completely changed. I feel so much more in tune with me now and the ability to let my world unfold and embrace it and truly live it instead of worry about it. Um, that is, Shelley, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the transformation that we believe can happen and that uh, we see happen and that you're sort of testifying to there is uh, that uh, you, you sort of reside in the confidence that your true self is enough, that it will be able to handle what arises, that some of those things will be good, some of those things will be difficult, um, joyful, difficult, joyful, sorrowful, and that your true self will be able to take those things in, learn from them, grow, and move forward. Um, and that, that's about the only way to undo anxiety is to trust that when that, that thing arrives, I'll be able to handle it. So, Shelley, thanks for that, uh, that reminder that this, that's where this is all headed. Jack writes, sharing, yes, it's one of the very best parts of the passionate process. I entered an art show nearby recently and look forward to meeting all the other artists tonight at the reception. Round of applause for Jack uh, that you are doing it, that you are stepping in tonight into the vulnerability of putting literally your art out into the world. Um, that is beautiful. Um, and I hope that everyone who's listening understands that you don't need to enter a painting in an art show to put your beauty out into the world. Whatever your passion is, it's designed to, to make the world more creative and more beautiful. And what is your art show is the question, right? What, what, it, in what way do you exhibit your passion and how do you begin to move into the vulnerability of that? Jack, we, we celebrate with you that you are having the courage to do that. Okay, so let's keep this conversation going by focusing on one thing we can do to be encouraged to practice our passions vulnerably, even when we're even when we're afraid, even when they're scary, to practice them vulnerably. It's week the week forty-seven practice. Remember, your passions aren't meant to single-handedly save the world, but they are almost always a part of adding creativity and beauty to the world. In fact, this is a good litmus test for moving forward confidently with living your passion. If it is arising from your true self. If it feels a little vulnerable, if it's creative, 
If it adds beauty and or order and or abundance to the world, then the world needs it. By the way, beauty, order, and abundance, those are the three qualities that I um, uh, I think I discovered in a, a book by Sky Jatani. Um, if it adds beauty, order, and or abundance to the world, then the world needs it. This week, focus specifically on those things you've wanted to do which make you feel vulnerable because you wonder what people will think of it, or you are afraid of criticism, or you wonder if it's enough, and it makes you wonder all over again if you are enough. This is why the months of loving came before the months of living. If you are to resurrect the most vulnerable parts of your truest self, you will need your people to reassure you that you are worth resurrecting. This week, you will turn to your people for reassurance. Before acting on your creative impulse, tell one person about it, the one person you can most count on to give you the support you need. This is the person who will do more than, do more than just tell you to go forward with your creation. This is the person who will be downright thrilled that you are considering it. You will borrow from their energy and enthusiasm. When you distrust the, the worthiness of what you want to live, they will believe on your behalf. Every week for five years, I've published a blog post, and that's when I wrote this. It's almost seven now. Every week for seven years, I've published a blog post. Every week, my wife has been excited for me to do so. We can't do the ordinary vulnerable things we are passionate about without the encouragement of our people. This week, that is all. Draw upon your belonging to fuel your passion. So Donna, I think about your comment earlier that someone's trying to rain on your parade and you need a bigger umbrella. And, and this is where we were headed all along today is that the encouragement to, to draw upon your people as the bigger umbrella, to go to the people who you know know you best, who believe in you the most, and say, this is happening. Um, remind, remind me why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and, and, and it can get complicated because the people who believe in you can go, Oh yeah, you should totally keep what you're doing. But I think what they're trying to say is this, and maybe maybe there's something to glean from that, right? It's sort of like how I feel every time an editor just destroys the the work I've done. <laughs> you know, my wife's like, "Oh no, like I totally believe in you. Like this 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 work it matters, but you probably do need to listen to a little bit of what they're saying. They're 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 trying to help you out." Um, so being, you know, our people can help us gain clarity about who is just raining on our parade because they need to knock us down a peg for whatever reason, who's giving us constructive feedback that we can listen to. But more than anything, all of that discernment that they'll help us do is anchored in this uh, in this belief in us and this encouragement that we continue on with what we're doing. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's the gist, that's the idea. And, uh, um, and so I'm curious to hear as you think about that, um, what are your questions about that that idea of turning to our places of belonging for encouragement about our passions? Um, do you have thoughts that come to mind about who you would reach out to and why? What makes a person a good candidate for that? Um, what are your thoughts? Karen writes, I reached out to my friends since my family would not understand my passion. Um, Karen, what you're pointing out is that it's not the role that a person has in our life that determines whether or not they're the right person to go to. <laughs> it's um, their ability to see who we are, to embrace our true self, and to want to celebrate and champion that true self. And sometimes that's not that's not close family members. Um, and I I would argue we probably don't need a ton of people like that in our lives. You know, we probably need one. We need one person that we can sort of go to and say, "Do you see me? Do you still believe in me? Is this am I am I?" Am I crazy here or, or, or should I keep moving forward? We need one person who we can trust to, to encourage us going forward. And that person may not be in our family. Um, and that's okay. 
um, gives us more clarity about where we where we truly belong. And, and Mandy says, yeah, I think that sometimes people don't have that type of group because of where they are in life. Um, and um, I think you're right, Mandy. I think I, I would actually, and to to kind of reiterate what I just said, I don't think very many people ever have a group like that. I think. I think that a group like that is a, sort of a rarity that most of us would would love to possess, but would feel kind of easily feel ashamed that we don't because most of us don't. Um, I'm thinking more like one person, you know, a person to reach out to, um, and that one of the ways that our passions and our pursuit of our passions and our purpose continues to to sort of reach backward and clarify our sense of belonging is that we might try to reach out to several people um, and. We might, with a couple of people, walk away going, that didn't feel very good. Like, it seemed like it was all about their stuff rather than sort of encouraging my stuff. But then one person who sort of surprises you and uh, and really seems to get you. And you go, can we have coffee again next week? <laughs> like we'd, I'd really like to spend more time with you. And all of a sudden, your belonging deepens a little bit. So it's, it isn't just about... Um, kind of drawing upon your circles of belonging. It's also about deepening them and getting greater clarity through the process of seeking encouragement about who you belong to. Jack writes, my best friend Glenn is blatantly honest. I totally trust him. Um, <laughs> Jack, that reminds me, we, my good friend and business partner um, have officially named a new philosophy that we have for our friendship and our, our business practice, which is the overblurt philosophy, which is we, we, over, we overreact we, we, we say more maybe than is necessary and then worry about, um, you know, whatever apologies or sorting it out later. But we want to be completely honest with each other um, and, and trust each other enough to, to know that, uh, um, that we can sort, kind of sort out the messiness of that. So um, I think we sort of all need a, a friend who is blatantly honest and we can trust them. And, and we trust that even if they sometimes say things that we don't totally love to hear, that they love us. And that's why they're saying it. Um, that it's it's about caring for us. Mandy writes, my husband is my person. He sees in me what I don't. He is my biggest cheerleader and he totally gets me. Um, it reminds me, there's a line somewhere in Lovable Mandy about how um, sometimes our, our people um, see us more clearly than we do. Sometimes they, they tell the truth about us when we can't hear the truth within ourselves. Um, and in that way, they're sort of the voice of grace for us. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad that you have that one person. Um, and that person is clear for you already. Um, that's a gift, and it's a gift that you can open <laughs> and enjoy. And uh, um, maybe, and maybe part of the, the upshot of this conversation for you is you go back to him and say, "I'm just hanging in there, and I'm not feeling a whole lot of connection with my passions. What do you, what do you see in me? Um, what am I most passionate about?" So yes, um, I'm so glad you have him. Brenda writes, best friend, mentor couple, my husband and kids are my group that will tell me the truth or call me out. Um, it isn't interesting, isn't it, to hear that like when we start to identify this, this bigger umbrella, we can sort of um, be sheltered from people raining on our parade with. There, it's not, the, the, the person that's coming to mind for most of us isn't a person who will tell us only what we want to hear, but they'll tell us what we need to hear and we trust that they're doing it out of a sense of care for us, that they, they are seeing us clearly and being honest with us. Um, and so that, that again, I think helps to, to clarify the type of person we're talking about here. Laura writes, my guy is, is so the voice of grace and it's real and honest. There it is again. It's real, it's honest, and it's full of grace that those things can go together. Um, grace isn't sort of 
always just nice. <laughs> Grace is, I see you for who you are. You are worthy, you are lovable, and nothing can change that. And here's some honest feedback about what you've been doing, what direction you might head. And because of the foundation of grace upon which that is shared, we can really trust it. So I appreciate the, the, the multiple affirmations of that about the places that we belong and our people. Deb F. writes, Yes, untangled. I was one of the first to sign up on email. Truth be told, for some reason, I thought for years you were female. <laughs> for, for no particular reason, really. Not The name didn't throw you. <laughs> so imagine when I picked up your book and saw your picture. How I stumbled on your book in the library was divine intervention as I needed direction. Oh, that's awesome. And here I am over a year later participating in a podcast. Talk about step-by-step step and letting go of the outcome. I believe when you are ready, the teacher appears, and in some way, we are all teachers by sharing our passions. Deb, I'm going to read that again. In some way, we are all teachers by sharing our passions. I think teachers, both in terms of what, what our passion is and the content of what we share with people, and teachers in the sense of modeling what it looks like to sort of boldly step into vulnerability and, uh, and pursue your passion. I think that's right, Deb. And, um, and yeah, so thank you. <laughs> what a what a circuitous path to, to where you're at right now. You and I sort of weaving in and out our, our journeys. It's it's a beautiful thing actually to think about. Um, and it is not the, the the first or the last time someone will mistake me for a woman. I often joke, my name's Kelly. I wrote a book called Lovable and it's got a big heart on the cover. It's amazing that anybody is, <laughs> assumes I'm a male. <laughs> Okay, everybody, thanks again for uh, really a vulnerable and courageous discussion. I'm so grateful for each one of you. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about the good life versus the redemptive life. And the good life is often associated with trying to find a life that is pain-free. And the redemptive life is about identifying our pain and redeeming it as we live. Um, and, and how does this tie in with passion and purpose? One of the things that I, I talk about in Lovable is that oftentimes practicing our passion imbues our lives with a sense of meaning. But if it doesn't, the other ingredient that you need to attend to is your pain. That practicing our passion in the service of redeeming our pain almost always leads to a sense of purpose. And so we're going to be getting into that idea next week. It's going to be week 48 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled The Good Life Versus The Redemptive Life. Until then, remember, you are lovable. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, Sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable.